0: Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. This week, live at Bista Heritage, for a day with Mission Motorsport taking veterans around the track for a Jaguar day they'll never forget. JECpodcast.com Hello and welcome to another Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you here at Bista Heritage. So if I sound a little bit different this week, that is because I am out and about in the fresh air in the lovely sunshine here in oxfordshire at a very special event and it is run by the jaguar enthusiast club local region for oxfordshire and there are currently in front of me jaguars out on track in fact i'm looking at a beautiful v12e type circulating with an xk and an f type and even a project 7 out on track as well which is what you can just hear blasting past me and Jaguar Enthusiast Club's Oxfordshire region have joined together with Mission Motorsport who are based here at Bicester Heritage to put on a very special day to give a track experience day in Jaguars for veterans who are here to enjoy their time out on track here at Bicester Heritage in a Jaguar of their choice I think they've just about all gone out in just about everything and there's a whole selection of jaguars here as well actually those are the ones out on track at the minute but we've got a huge selection of e-types a lot of vehicles brought here from the jaguar daimler heritage trust including the james bond xk8 which of course was the baddies car chasing james bond across the ice We'll find out more about that vehicle in just a moment. But first, let's get the details on exactly what vehicles the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust have brought along for the veterans to experience with collections manager Tony Marigold. Motorsport Heroes with Richard West's Hall of Fame. Well, on this week's podcast, we're talking about another of the Tom Walkinshaw Racing team. Uh, in fact, from the 1988 Le Mans winning team, so back to the Group C era, Richard, uh, who are we talking about this week?
1: We're talking about none other than Derek Patrick Daly, um, a very accomplished driver and nowadays a commentator, author and also like myself on the speaking circuit talking about business performance from his vast experience in motor racing and uh, yet again, the sticky hands of Mr Tom (laughs) Walkinshaw have been held all over Derek who drove for the team as you rightly say in 88 but also again in 1989 in his uh, illustrious career
0: Well he was one of the Group C uh, silk cut liveried car drivers of course but it started a long way before that no doubt in single seaters and probably in British Formula 3 is that right?
1: Well he started off in the Irish Formula 4 Championship um, back in 1976 I think it was and then he graduated to the European Formula 2 Championship in 77 and he was one of those rare um, drivers in the late 70s who actually during the 78-79 seasons competed in both Formula 2 and Formula 1 um, and actually finished third in the Formula 2 Championship uh, in his uh, in both seasons so yeah he was a, a real true single-seater driver but also a guy a, quite a tough driver and somebody who in a sports car excelled quite well he also a, a, a spell at Le Mans uh, for the works Nissan team as well so clearly an experienced guy but it's, as you rightly say he started out his career in single seaters and Formula Ford indeed as so many do in 77 he did the British Formula 3 Championship and, and in fact during his career um, he competed for 17 years and he competed in 64 Formula 1 uh, races as well Grand Prix uh, when he debuted at the 1978 United States Grand Prix West so yeah quite a career out Derek
0: he was a Hesketh driver at one point, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was indeed. He drove for Hesketh, he drove for Enzyme, for March, for Theodore, for Tyrrell, and he also drove for Frank Williams um, in the TAG, Saudi-sponsored Williams team. Uh, so, yes, he had a good career. In fact, he was one of those guys in Formula One who who never never really got what he actually deserved. Um, he had an extremely memorable moment in Formula One, if you look back over his history, when there's a picture of his car flying over the top, or I think it was Nelson Piquet and, a, and, a, and another Benetton, I think it was, with sheets of flame going around when they tangled in the first corner going into Sandoval, which was a, a major one that Murray and James commented about it. But in 82, actually, he, he almost won uh, the Monaco Grand Prix because a number of cars in front of him suffered mechanical failures and heartbreakingly just after he'd taken the lead, he, he retired with a gearbox failure. So it wasn't the B.
0: It was an Indy 500 driver as well, with some success, as I recall.
1: It was indeed. He, he went to the kart series in 1982, um, where he continued driving until '89. Uh, he did 66 kart races, and uh, he did all of the Indy 500s, I believe, except for 1986. Uh, he had many top 10 finishes, uh, and he had a podium finish, and... Um, he was third at Milwaukee back in 1987, but he also suffered a terrible, terrible accident um, that nearly claimed his life in September 84. I, I hadn't been in Formula One very long then, and like many people, you know, although I remember the early tragic days of motor racing, I hadn't really seen a shunt, and we were watching it and uh, on the TV. I think we were at Monza at the time in Formula One, and Derek was racing at uh, the Michigan International Speedway, And he had the mother of all accidents. I mean, the front end of the car was completely sheared off, almost to the level with his hips. And his legs and his feet were stuck out of the front of the tub as it careered off the wall and down into the infield. Um, He broke his left ankle. He had fractures through his tibia and fibula, I think. He fractured his hips. He severely fractured his pelvis. I mean, his injuries just went on and on and on. Um, many deep abrasions as well and soft internal tissue injuries so he was a very very lucky man indeed and there's, there's a great interview with him again I often quote YouTube but there's a great interview with him talking about it and he said the only thing holding me in the car as I went down the road at you know 180 miles an hour was a six point harness and I remember thinking to myself boy I'm in trouble here. <laughs> Understatement of the century I would have said.
0: Did it have a big effect mm. on his career from that point on?
1: Yes, it did, really. I mean, he um, he did sports car. He got involved in sports car racing. Um, he, he actually won the 12 Hours of Sebring in 1990 and 1991, driving for Nissan in the GTP Turbo. Um, and, and, you know, he had the unusual distinction of driving both the first and second place cars. If you look back on history and that, drivers were swapping backs and forwards between cars. And at one point, he did stints in both. So he, he did well. But I think... He, he realised after that big indie shunt and the sports car racing that really his his career was going in another direction. And he is an extremely good presenter. I mean, I, I've spoken with Derek many times about the work he does in the United States. He's well represented out there, and of course he's had his uh, his company motivation, which exists to this day, does a lot of work with blue chip companies in the U.S. And uh, as I said at the beginning, he's now a broadcaster. His son. Uh, Connor is also now a successful IndyCar driver and he's one of those guys who literally from the moment he sat in his first Formula Ford and if you rang him up now he's a very likable character but immediately you know you'd start to trade stories about the world of motor racing and I'm sure right now he's got a lot to say about the incident last weekend between Verstappen and Hamilton again that's the sort of thing he would be quite outspoken mm-hmm. on I know.
0: Well How was it that he came to meet Tom Walkinshaw then? And how did his Jaguar story begin?
1: Well, it's interesting, just before I answer that, going back, I mean, in his early days, he he was with a team uh, in British Formula 3 and European Formula 3, Derek McMahon Racing. Derek McMahon was was an amazing character who put a lot of money into his Formula 3 teams. But the way that it came along was, as team managers and team owners do, they tend to look back over the history And, of course, Ron Dennis in the late 70s, 79, had a company, Project 4 Racing, that was very well known and was competing in Formula 2, and he drove for them. And it was from there, really, that I think that people noticed him. He immediately got the chance to drive for Enzyme, and Ken Tyrrell picked him up. And as his career went through, and Williams also ran him, clearly he was a front-runner, and as we've said many times before, because Tom, dear Tom's name comes up with so many successful drivers, What Tom was looking for was tough, resilient drivers, and he was an ideal choice for Le Mans when, you know, with four cars going to Le Mans, at times you had 14 drivers signed up, and Derek was one of those. Uh, Sadly, uh, you know, he didn't have a great uh, 24-hour Le Mans in 88 or 89, but the reality was he was the sort of guy that Tom liked and understood because, yet again, as we've said before, Tom was a racer himself and dealing with these guys in a straightforward no-nonsense way. Derek was one of those guys and still is one of those guys and made a perfect candidate for TWR Jaguar in those days.
0: And I guess it was that background that he had from the Indy 500 and that racing in America that gave Tom the idea to partner him up with the other American drivers in the TWR team at the time, because he always seemed to be sharing a car with either the American crews or, of course, Larry Perkins or Jeff Brabham, two Australians that uh, were racing for TWR at the
1: time. Yeah, he did. And And I think sort of the American pairing certainly was very much based on the fact that Derek, you know, has lived in America for a long time. And I think he understood the American psyche when it came to racing and also their means of communicating with the team. And likewise, being a good, tough, hard racer, as you rightfully say, he was in there with the Aussies as well. So, yeah, good choice. Um, I think in some ways, personally, looking back now, and I know several members of the team feel the same way, perhaps he would have been better with some of the more established stars that we had up there at that time. But Tom was always very, very focused on how he put his driver pairings together. And obviously at that time felt that the the American stroke Australian pairing was the best for Derek in in that stage of his career.
0: And as you say, he uh, went to the Nissan team and sort of ended his sports car career with the Japanese manufacturer.
1: He did indeed. He competed in the IMSA Championship uh, in 1990. And he also competed in 24 Hours of Le Mans in 91. Again, he was back in the IMSA series. And the IMSA series has gone through periods of history when it was immensely competitive and hugely well attended both by teams, manufacturers, uh, competitors and fans. So uh, not a shabby career by any stretch of the imagination to say that, you know, you've driven under the likes of Tom Walkenshaw, Ron Dennis, Derek McMahon, Frank Williams. The list goes on and on and on and uh, a thoroughly nice guy with it and somebody who to this day as I say uh, is a compelling listen and a very good read too through his books that he's written
0: and precisely why we've inducted him into the Hall of Fame here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast mm-hmm. Jaguar Enthusiasts Club Podcast. To find out what events you can get along to or to discover local club meets in your region, visit jec.org.uk. Well, I'm here with Tony Marigold, of course, Collections Manager of the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust. And Tony, we're here once again in sunny Bister. We seem to be doing well with the weather when we come here.
2: Yes, we do. I was watching the weather yesterday while it was raining all day long and thinking... I hope that's not the case for tomorrow, because going around the track at Vista in the wet would not be a lot of fun.
0: Well, there's a bit of a breeze in the air, but everyone's smiling, enjoying the sunshine that is here, and you're here for a quite a serious reason, actually. Uh, why is it important for the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust to support Mission Motorsport on days like this?
2: Well, Mission, Mission Motorsport do a really good job, uh, helping ex-servicemen uh, retrain, get into new careers, cope, cope with life, all sorts of mental stress and so on so it's just a, a very worthwhile charity and obviously a lot of it is motoring based which is what we do for a living as well. Well talk us through the
0: cars you brought here because you've uh, pulled out some of the fantastic Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust collection of course usually these cars are housed at the British Motor Museum uh, site just outside of Gaden in Warwickshire but you brought some cars along talk us through them.
2: Well, well being uh, Mission Motorsport and a military theme we thought well what's the um best uh, cars that we can come up with with um, a military theme or a services theme. So I've brought um, a princess, a flag and a machine gun along, basically. (laughs) Absolutely. And the
0: machine gun, of course, aloft uh, behind the uh, seats on this XK, of course, which was the James Bond car, wasn't it?
2: Well, not actually the James Bond car, it was in the film. This was the baddie's car in Die Another Day, so it's the baddie called Zhao, so it was um, his car. Now, we are very fortunate um, in amongst the uh, paperwork we've got with the car, we have actually got um, um, a a vehicle certificate from the uh, Korean People's Army with the car, so we know exactly what spec it is as well. (laughs)
0: Fantastic. Of course, this was the car that chased James Bond and his Aston Martin across the icy lake in the film. and the guy had lots of diamonds in his face and stuff, didn't
2: he? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the film. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, we do also actually have the ice-studded tyres in the collection centre, um, stacked up with a sheet of glass on top, for them and a coffee table. But but as the weather's good today, we decided we wouldn't need the uh, ice tyres on it. Do you keep the machine gun on when you're driving down the road? We do keep it on because we can't remove it. Um, Normally we do put a specially shaped tonneau cover over it, but today we did uh, drive it down with the uh, uh, gun visible. Uh, We didn't see any police, but anyway, even if they saw us go past, I'm fairly sure they'd know what the car was and I don't think there'd be any incidents.
0: (laughs) I imagine that it gives some people a scare when they look in the rearview mirror and see that behind them. You're certainly not going to be a victim of any road rage incidents, but I can imagine the kids know exactly what it is and get very excited about seeing
2: it. The, actually, the kids know; the parents do, because sadly, the kids because that Bond film was a good few years ago. Now, the kids are; it's a bit too early for most of the kids, so they do tend to ask uh, what, what it is, whereas they might know the last two or three Bond films, but not the earlier ones.
0: And I also saw you pull in a lovely XJS Cabriolet, a V12. Tell us about that car,
2: right? So, as I said, we've got a princess, a machine gun, and the flag, and the Cabriolet is the princess. So, that's Princess Die's XJS Cabriolet. Fantastic,
0: and those. The the rumour goes, and you might be able to clear this story
2: up for us while we're talking
0: about this car, that originally, of course, the XJS Cabriolets had those lockers behind the front seats, but this, like a number of others, has the rear seats. Now, the story goes that Princess Diana actually specified them with special vehicle operations at
2: Jaguar for the princes to sit in. Is that true, do you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly true. She wanted a car to take the two boys out, and obviously that was her choice of car, in those days the boys were still fairly small because obviously there's not a lot of leg room in the back of a cabriolet so yes you're right instead of the luggage lockers, right. it was fitted with a bespoke set of seats uh, which actually matched perfectly the front seats brilliant and also as you mentioned we've got
0: the flag here as well uh, which is the austin powers xk <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yes it is um, i've uh, put a thing on facebook a while ago saying it's the union jack car and um, a member of the uh, services uh, corrected me say apparently the flag is only a union jack if it's flying on a jack shaft on a ship so i I now try and remember to call it the union flag car rather than the union jack car
0: Uh, another genuine film car from the jdht collection
2: actually no in this case Um, everyone thinks that until they read the notes on it it was actually so it wasn't used in the film but it was um repainted in the union flag colors and it was used by the pr company after the film had been launched so yeah not in the film but of the film if you like
0: Well, it's a fantastic day for it. And I know you've been taking some of the veterans out uh, yourself. Uh, It must be good fun just taking people out for a ride around a track all day. This is a good way to spend your day, isn't it, Tony?
2: Uh, It's hard, but someone's got to do it. Uh, But, yeah, I had some interesting people. Um, I think you know, Wayne, that uh, we're celebrating our centenary next year, which will be 100 years of swallow sidecars. Well, one of my passengers celebrated her centenary four years ago so i had a 104 year old passenger next to me i've had um, an ex-marine in there regaling stories of his time out in malaysia and so on um so yes as well as enjoying the driving it's been an interesting day talking to some very nice people
0: and you're getting a sense of just what it means for those people to come out and have days like this as
2: well yes exactly that talking to one guy probably only half an hour ago in in, in a wheelchair who's obviously now left the services and he's in the process of trying to retrain the challenge is he's a mechanic by trade, and not many people employ mechanics in wheelchairs. So, yeah, he's got to find a new career, um, a new set of training. And he hasn't got all that fixed yet, but Mission Motorsport are helping him with that, which is exactly what they do.
0: Well, they do some great work. We'll find out more about that great work in just a moment. We'll talk to James Cameron, who is here from Mission Motorsport. But, Tony, I'd best let you get back out on track to uh, burn some more rubber.
2: <laughs> yeah, OK, thanks, Wayne. Good talking to you, as always.
0: Well, having heard the support that the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust are giving to this event and a little taste there of the great work of Mission Motorsport. I'm here with James Cameron, who of course leads up Mission Motorsport and we're going to find out all about it. So where did this concept begin? And tell us more about it for those who've never come across your work before. Sure.
3: Um, I mean, 10 years ago, I was just coming back from Afghanistan. I served in the Royal Tank Regiment for 17 years, I think, before I got out, eventually, in 2013. Um, and uh, at that time, there were all sorts of extraordinary and exciting things starting up around recovery sport and using sport to help people on a journey of recovery for those who'd, um, uh, who'd become injured or, or wounded through, through military operations. Um, uh, and where you see things that have gone on and become stuff like the Invictus Games, um, the the path of regular sport was really straightforward but motorsport was almost a bit like the wild west. There were some amazing things going on uh, but a lot of things were being done with great philanthropic intent but not necessarily the most professional delivery and Mission Motorsport was formed by the MOD as the Forces Motorsport Charity in order to um, uh, just help bring a bit of focus and regulation to, uh, to an area that's got enormous potential. Um, our motto though isn't just about sport. Race, retrain, recover. is all about that life journey that you can take people on in order that they're in a position to support themselves and their families through, through a broader recovery as they've left service. And we now find ourselves running Jaguar Land Rovers Armed Forces Engagement Scheme, as an example, uh, but across a whole swathe of the automotive industry, helping people into new jobs so they can support their families after the military.
0: And there's a great synergy here between ex military personnel and motorsport. Many of, I'm guessing, would have been engineers in the forces themselves. Um, but, you know, they've been used to being at the peak of their game and applying engineering knowledge. This is just surely the natural home for so much of that talent.
3: Yeah, I absolutely think so. And since, you know, Bodicea did great things for rights. you know, uh, the Royal Air Force, places like we're standing on here, uh, gave us the, um, that sort of swathe across the centre of England that's such a centre of excellence for engineering, um, was one of the legacies of the Second World War, the, the, the human capital that came after it. And it's very much the same today. You know, the, the automotive industry is going through massive change. There are incredible opportunities there for people to do jobs for life and we've got people of extraordinary quality leaving the services and for us putting those two things together is the most natural thing in the world to be able to help them with that transition from service into uh, whatever it is that they're going to be doing afterwards. Um, There's a really interesting piece around high voltage behaviours at the moment and we did a piece of work with the Ministry of Defence back in 2018 that very quickly uh, we realised that the terminology was different. High voltages uh, where a Tesla you know, a typical um, electric vehicle is a 400 volt vehicle, that falls as high voltage under civilian terminology anything over sort of 48 volts can be, can be determined high voltage. The military also use the phrase high voltage but all three services it's over a thousand volts they would refer to as high voltage. And what that means is we've got this entire generation of uh, service leavers and veterans um, who've got the behaviours, the skill sets and the competencies to do four to six to eight hundred volt range because they've been doing it all of their careers but they don't know they've got it because the terminology is different and to be able to join up um, uh, little bits of the blinding obvious like that in order to benefit a whole population of people is really where our work falls.
0: Is the focus uh, these days on helping um, ex-military people get back into life or is it to find them jobs is there a more of a kind of rehabilitation therapeutic aspect to this or is it focused about getting jobs and getting a life after the forces where does the focus lie or is it maybe a bit of both
3: i I think these things are all absolutely intertwined you know um uh rolling back to 2012 when the charity was first established the the narrative was very much around the wounded injured or sick um it's really interesting with the events of the last sort of you know month and a half and the impact of Afghanistan that actually you're looking at an entire era, particularly of Afghanistan veterans, who may be experiencing a, a form of moral injury as they've they've uh, they've seen um, uh, some really quite toxic narratives around at the moment around their time being wasted in Afghanistan and us winning that narrative in order to help people to to realise that actually. You've got to think in generational terms with countries like Afghanistan and the impact that we've had there not only kept us safe for 20-odd years, but also that generation of Afghans. Oh, listen, Project 8 in the background, what a great backdrop to uh, to a chat this is. We're not having the worst day here, it must be said. Um, but but that 70% of Afghans are under the age of 24. They've never experienced, understood, had that in, in uh and they're going to they're going to experience it now, and that generation will make their voices heard. And in the meantime, we've um, we've been putting people in harm's way so that our families weren't. And uh, and I think the very professional job that our armed forces did, when they woke up in the morning, it wasn't really the plight of Afghanistan they were thinking about. It was their compatriots who they who they served alongside. They should be incredibly proud of what they've done.
0: It's great to see the work that you do and the uh, fantastic uh, lives that ex-military people are able to go into because of the work of Mission Motorsport but do you think we need to still do more to look after our veterans after they come out the services?
3: I mean I I think this is one of the things that you just chip away at and for us it's about joining together communities and so um, we've got a community here from, from guys who are still serving you know so we've seen folk in uniform here today all the way through to Mary you know one of that greatest generation who's just about to turn 103 um, who's been here as well with her Royal Marine son-in-law um, who himself is in his 80s you know it's it, it's absolutely wonderful but wherever we can join communities together to give people new networks that they can rely on new friendships new interests like those who love their cars those who who come together in order to form communities in the outside world, that's when we're really nailing it because we're helping them to become successful civilians.
0: What do you think people who have never been anywhere near the forces can learn from those that have?
3: I would, well, I mean, come and have a chat for goodness' sake, and find out where your money's been spent. You know, you, we've we've all collectively as taxpayers kind of paid for this. We've we've sent a generation of our uh, of our young folk away in order to do the work on behalf of the country. And regardless of politics, they haven't made those decisions, but they absolutely have done it so that, so that we who remain don't uh, don't have to go and do that. And um, I've never had a bad experience by joining up the guys and girls who've served and, and those who support them with, with the wider population. And there's a lovely opportunity really to get involved with extraordinary people and to make a difference. And I think never more has it been needed.
0: Well, of course, you mentioned that Mission Motorsport is a charity. So for the most part, where does the funding come from? And what can we do to help you do more?
3: We're uh, absolutely Um, these are difficult times for charities. We have uh, and we've seen a lot of service charities as well as wider charities have folded over the course of of COVID. Um, For the first time, and it's it's very contrary to a narrative that's popular, is we're seeing support come through from government. But it's a fraction of our work which we do, um, where we lean into industry. Industry is fantastic at being able to help us too, but we absolutely rely on people. Fundraising, coming up with great ideas, looking to club together in order to do stuff which they love. And if you've got any ideas or there's something you'd like to do, our website through the Facebook page, please get in touch and we'd love to reinforce whatever you can do in order to be able to support our veterans
0: well we'll do that and of course we'll put all the links to that on the description part of the podcast page at jcpodcast.uk as well Uh, we're here out in the middle of Bicester heritage on a beautiful day surrounded by gorgeous jaguars from all eras and all ages it's a special day it must mean a lot to your guys as well
3: really fantastic i'm just seeing the smiles um uh in the passenger seats of things and some of the engaged conversations of people who were just lit up because there's a bond car here there's a princess diana's xjs is here this is really special stuff the really lovely thing though is just seeing the interaction with the members and hugely grateful to the members who've brought along extraordinary things today and given of their own time so freely james thanks very much no worries my pleasure
0: well, as I mentioned, this event is facilitated by the Jaguar Enthusiast Club's Oxfordshire region and the leader of that region is with me now, Steve Daniels. What a lovely day we've got here at Bista Heritage. Once again, we're getting good at this.
4: Yes, we're very lucky. We've done one of these events before in the rain and that was fun. But when you're in the bright sunlight, the cars look great, the people relax. It. it ticks all the boxes i think would be the way to put it but there's nothing better than riding in princess dies xjs
0: no absolutely and lovely to see it in such good condition preserved of course by the jaguar daimler heritage trust as are all of your regional members cars as well and we'll talk about some of the members that you've brought along with you and some of their cars as well but take us back to the very beginning of this event steve and how this got it involved with uh, the oxfordshire region of the jc
4: well i volunteer here as a member of staff on the estate States team which also helped obviously with the festival. Then I found out that there were these veterans events and I thought well I'd like to get my car out on the track I know the members would and this is our fourth time and Mr. Heritage who I as I say volunteer for make the track available so we were the proverbial rat up a drain pipe and made sure we got stuck in and there's nothing better than supporting veterans with their rehabilitation and taking their life plans forward it's great stuff at every level and I get lots of our region members. This is almost the highlight of the year because Bicester Heritage is our sort of spiritual home. So they brought their E-types, their XJS's, their Daimler's, you name it. I think we've got one in the squad somewhere and listening to them go around the track is just great.
0: Well, you can hear them uh, just in the background as I'm talking. Occasionally, the Project 8 comes thundering by, and this is the great thing about this. We all love these cars, we get out and enjoy them for ourselves, but it's extra special when you get out and enjoy your car and benefit others as well, isn't it?
4: It certainly is, and I'll give you just one example. There's a lovely lady called Mary that we've seen each time now. Mary is 102, about to be 103. I counsel my drivers to only go as fast as they feel comfortable, but Mary also. wants to go faster and she has a smile that reaches each of her ears it's just wonderful to see.
0: Well we talked to Tony Merigold a little bit earlier on about the cars that the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust have brought up here and they're not shy to throw them around the circuit but also of course there's the members of the JC Oxfordshire region here with their cars, so who have we got here, who has taken their car out and uh, uh, who have we got assembled?
4: Well we've certainly got uh, Chris, Chris Allen who's our treasurer in his left hand drive lovely old English white E-type. Barry, another member of the committee in his Primrose Yellow E-Type, the one that was in the advertising for the festival. Uh, Andy North, one of our committee members in a lovely V12 uh, Daimler. As I say, we've got some XJS's. Uh, Who else can I think of? Uh, Well, obviously we've got all of our hardcore members, they wouldn't miss it for the world. Uh, Think of Adrian Wehr. Adrian Wehr is another E-Type driver, but his E-Type's actually in dock at the minute, so he's come in his wife's Morris Traveller, which has certainly uh, caused a stir and been a popular car of the day. If people didn't want to go in the Project 7 or 8, they wanted to go in the Morris Traveller, and that's just as good as anything else. But other cars, well, um, we've got more than a few XKs, all moderns, but XKRs of all flavours, XKs, so the 100s and the 150 models. Uh, They've burnt a few tyres off, but that's what they came for.
0: Well, and it's great that uh, part of the proceeds of making this happen came from the hard work that we put in at the Jaguar festival here. Back in July, seems, only like yesterday, but it's a couple of months ago at least already. What a great event that was, and, and look what else it's now spawned, if you like.
4: That's absolutely right. I mean, this in a way is payoff for my region members for the work they all put in at the festival. Many of us just worked from the start to the finish, and we were happy to do so. But yes, the club made a contribution to our region funds, and that in fact is being burnt up a bit in our barbecue later, which is for the region members and their partners who them but also for all the people who've worked here today and it's worth absolutely emphasizing that the JDHT's contribution both with their time as well as their vehicles so they'll be joining in the barbecue as will some Vista Heritage staff as will the gang from Mission Motorsport so that's the club really making a contribution to a good bit of corporate social responsibility or whatever we call it these days. Just
0: good fun out on track, I reckon, and
4: uh, you must enjoy doing this yourself, Steve. Oh, I do. I'm lucky enough to volunteer at Bicester. I have a great time here always, but there's nothing better than seeing it doing what it does today with classic cars being used, being enjoyed on the track. There's nothing better other than when people bring hundreds of Jaguars here and we get to look at all of those as well. When we come to a scramble here we get anything up to 200 cars on our allotted space and it's a fantastic thing to see.
0: Brilliant. There's Steve Daniels then, leader of the Oxfordshire region, of course, of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, uh, who is responsible for this fantastic day here at Bicester Heritage. Now, let's go and find out who else we can talk to. Well, wandering across the field here at Bista Heritage as the cars continue to circulate around the test track here and uh, giving everyone a great time. There's some wonderful sounding engines in there and uh, you might hear the odd screeching of tyres. Uh, but meanwhile, I have found one of our
5: veterans here who is a very much a part of this day. Uh, hello, introduce yourself to everyone listening. Hello, my name's Ian Max Dean. I'm a Royal Green, ex-Royal Green Jacket and I'm a beneficiary on Mission Motorsports. So how long have you been out of the services? Uh, been out of the services for 10 years now, 10 years plus. I um, hit a low point about four or five years ago. Um, Mission Motorsport came along, picked me up, raced, resrained and recovered me. Explain what it's like, because I can imagine
0: that people listening who have never been near the armed forces struggle to comprehend just how difficult it is when you come out of a long tour or a long service, and then you're faced with sort of everyday life. Talk us through the difficulty of that.
5: So it's it's everyday life, every, everyday struggles. Um, so basically suffering from bad PTSD myself from Northern Ireland, it's crowd control for myself personally. So uh, me going out to big crowds and stuff like that, I just, just can't seem to do it. Um, going obviously back to work, um, getting back into a role uh, into a proper working role uh, it takes a lot of overthinking because unfortunately that's what um, us ex squadies do we overthink a hell of a lot um, and that's our downfall basically is uh, overthinking stuff and once i uh, i went through the occupational health therapy with mission motorsport and stopped overthinking got on the right meds um, three years on um, i'm now Employed by Three Sisters um, Motor Circuit up in Wigan or through Mission Motorsports, and I haven't looked back. So how did you come across Mission Motorsport when you came out? So I've um, come across Mission Motorsport. I was up in Liverpool, and I got asked to take veterans from a local hub up there um, to the Three Sisters for a day. Um, and um, I said, and I said, yeah, well, you know, I'll take them. I dropped them off and I picked them up. I um, seen Jim and Lionel and Lionel the chief display um, instructor. He basically turned it was like it was like a belly, something turning in my belly and I was doing the display stuff. Uh, two years two years on I'm doing live shows with Terry Grant and Lee Bowers in the NEC. And like I say, I haven't looked back. It's just been absolutely fantastic the way they've really picked me up and haven't put me down until I'm um, fixed and i never will be fixed. My um, Mission Motorsport will be there throughout my life now and it's a nice feeling to have. Was an interest in
0: motorsport and in engineering and cars always there from the very beginning? Has it been something that's been part of your life since a kid, for example?
5: Yes, I've always been into like Jaguars, um, mainly uh, Escorts, um, Mexico's 1978, that's my car. Um, uh, yeah, I've always been into motorsports. The, the British Army sort of brushed, brushed it on. I was always driving vehicles in the army, um, getting about in, um, Land Rovers and other vehicles. So yeah, when I came out, I thought I had a void, and Mission Motorsport found that void with, through Motorsport.
0: I mean, obviously, this is a great fun day, and we've got some amazing cars here. I'll ask you what your favourite vehicle that you've been out in today is in a moment, but what does a day like
5: this mean to, to you and guys like you? So a day like this, um, benefits for me is obviously, you know, the shiny, nice, fancy cars. But it's being along uh, like-minded people, um, being around um, people that are exactly the same as myself and we can all talk about it, that is my key to Mission Motorsports. And not only that, uh, seeing um, people suffering with PTSD who didn't know that they had PTSD that's that's more than payment for me, uh, seeing people um, coming along, like I've seen a friend now who was in a bad way a year ago and now he's he's thrived in a new job, um, we're actually going to his carting place um, on the 20th of this month uh, to do a video of him and it's I just can't wait to meet up with him and to see how, how he's progressed and this is all through gym and Mission Motorsport. The thing of having a community
0: with shared interests is so powerful isn't it and uh, as you look around the cars today there are some awesome ones so if i could give you the keys to one of the jaguars we've got lined up which one
5: would it be uh, the 4.2 uh, e-type yeah oh really yeah the old school um, the the new ones don't really do it for me the, it's it's the old school you drive with your hips with them whereas the new ones the computer does all you driving <laughs> With the old boys, it's you drive with your hips, yeah. That's definitely the E type for me. I have to say, you've surprised me there because I thought you were going to say the Project 7. <laughs> no, 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 definitely definitely the E type all day long. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you very much. Well, I've walked to the end of the line of the cars that are entering the circuit here at Bista Heritage and I've found myself a beautiful turquoise. XJS. It's one of the later four litre facelifted versions and it's in that lovely launch colour that the X300 used. So a very limited edition XJS. And the person who's just got out of it has a very interesting story. Now, we spoke to some veterans early on who had left the forces, but Mission Motorsport also works with some who are currently serving and looking for their future after their exit. And one such person is with me now. Introduce yourself, sir.
6: Yes, my name's Neil Vipers. I'm currently an MT. Driver up at RF Waddington up in Lincolnshire, so it's been a nice three hour drive down here in the sun, and I've been driven around myself, which is quite a nice round of track.
0: So Explain firstly what it was like in the XJS. Uh, you looked very comfy in there. In fact, despite the fact you're on a track, it looked like you are going to nod off at one point. Well, <laughs>
6: nothing against the driver, but it was a very comfortable drive. Um, and obviously, the, the sun coming off, it, um, it gets in your eyes a little bit with that low ride. Uh, but it was very enjoyable, very smooth, very quiet as well. Um, when you consider what else is on display here. It's a very very quiet drive, which is um, nice to have a conversation with as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, R.F.
0: Waddington, based up in Lincolnshire, just on the outskirts of Lincoln. It's that airbase that you drive through as you enter Lincoln, uh, through uh, the fens there. I know it very well. It's about five minutes from my house. But you are looking for your route out of the forces, I guess. So explain, explain what faces you now in your career.
6: Um, there's lots of challenges. Um, but the more important ones right now is how we can help the community out come out of this pandemic so I've done a lot of um, work myself um, moving uh, assets around especially around Nottingham and Grantham uh, in, in, in trucks but where I want to be next is haulage so I've got my licenses I'm all ready to go it's just do I have that courage to leave and do the next phase of, of, of driving, which is long haul haulage. Um, that's one of the, the many things that I'm looking at, or whether staying in and, and further going through the ranks.
0: If you do come out and you go into haulage, we are talking right in the middle of a, uh, an absolute shortage on lorry drivers Absolutely. to the point where there isn't any food on the supermarket shelves. So potentially a very lucrative career.
6: It, it could be, uh, obviously there, there are huge numbers being banded about right now. You're looking at anything from uh, doubling my current wage which I've rubbed my hands at uh, to even tripling it around London obviously with London come London traffic and no one likes London traffic do they um but uh, it's one of those things that um, it takes you away from the family as well for six out of the seven days so do you enjoy that family life as it, as it currently is or do you go towards that financial aspects and then enjoy life later on with what, where that where that comes from so lots of things to talk about with the family and see what we go from from there.
0: I mean, in all seriousness, I can detect in your answers and the way you're talking about this that there is some anxiety looking at the world outside of the forces, and it is a difficult thing to adapt to normal life, isn't it? And is that what Mission Motorsports helping you with?
6: It, it will be. Yes, absolutely. There, there's there's so many things out there that um, you take for granted in a service life. Uh, I, I could talk about NHS waiting times, and but with the service you go straight forward. Um, I've had use of that uh, having ligaments redone in my right ankle, on my throttle uh, foot. Um, But as it is, um, Mission Motorsport will help me uh, identify a route forward um, and they've been great help for me. I've been asking them all sorts of questions to be honest, not just enjoying the drive. um, But they've been a massive help for me so far today.
0: Well, we wish you all the best luck with your future career. And uh, what does coming out on a day like this mean to you? How does it change things for you? Uh,
6: Today was not what I expected, so it's been. I've been non-stop smiling all day, uh, especially in um, some of the faster ones. Um, But I love Jaguars. It's been an amazing day for me, and uh, I hope this, this kind of thing continues.
0: What sort of Jaguar from the lineup that we have here? Would you like to drive home?
6: And if I was able to hand you the keys, uh, you wouldn't have to hand me the keys. I would take the keys from you. <laughs> it's it's the E types. They they are iconic, and uh, as soon as I saw it this morning when I pulled up in my Vauxhall Astra, <clears throat> uh, they're beautiful cars, and uh, it, the the wire rim in particular, it just makes you yeah, it just makes it pop. They're all going to be jealous back at Waddington of this, aren't they? I've taken so many pictures and so many videos, they won't believe that this was actually a a, a day of work. But it's it's fantastic.
0: Brilliant. Well, it's so great to hear that you've had such a great day. And uh, I know the JC Oxfordshire region uh, really love to do this for you guys. And all the best of luck with your future career.
6: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Well, I thought it was high time that I experienced some of the fun that the Mission Motorsport guys are enjoying here at Bicester Heritage by having a ride out in one of the cars myself. The car I've chosen or the car that's perhaps chosen me is an E-Type 4.2 in beautiful primrose yellow and I'm going to get in the in the door here and uh, <laughs> share this with you. At six foot four squeezing into an E-Type is never the most elegant of things I have to say but uh, I sort of have to pull one leg forward and, and get in and there we go and we're in and... Uh, my driver is assisting me, this is excellent, this is like uh, VIP treatment, this is. And we're off, so uh, firstly, before we uh, set off, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the car we're going to take out on track now.
2: Hi, oh, well I'm Barry, this is a, a 4.2 Series 2e type roadster, which I've owned for 21 years. Um, just gone over 98,000 miles, but in uh, superb mechanical condition, fun to own, fun to drive and absolute joy it looks beautiful
0: and uh, we're just about to head out on track so off we go and hopefully you can hear in the background the wonderful soundtrack that this e-type has as we head out onto the vista circuit and uh, it's a short circuit here it's basically made up of a couple of twisty bits and two long straights but already it's a it's a beautiful ride and the seat's beautifully comfortable as we're not hanging around already of course the E-Type was based on those C and D types of the 50s that won at Le Mans and that racing pedigree always comes through in the E-Type road cars as well. And i got to say for an old girl she handles well around this circuit. We're down the straight now young 50 a young 50 <laughs> absolutely and the engine sounding just sweet as nut that 4.2 liter XK burbling away underneath That long bonnet that's stretching out in front of me with a big hump on the top of it as we warm now into the circuit. Taking the corners nicely with a bit of drift. (laughs) This is such good fun. And I have to say my driver is wearing the uh, open back driving gloves here just to complete the look. A bit of uh, locking under braking there. End just stepping out as E-Types love to do. There's a lot of engine up front in an E-Type, and it's part of the fun of just allowing the car to step out and enjoy itself like that. This is what it's all about: Jaguars on track, ladies and gentlemen, with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, Oxfordshire region. Just listen to that noise. I'm gonna be quiet now and do a whole lot of just engine noise concludes a lap of the Bicester heritage track here what a fantastic experience I tell you what sometimes I just love my life I really do as we've just had what I think four laps that was round the Bicester heritage track in this tremendous e-type and um, there is nothing quite like the view out of the windscreen down the bonnet of a Jaguar e-type there really is nothing like that wonderful long bonnet that stretches ahead of you the louvres and the hump, you can see just why after 60 years these cars are still iconic and still so sought after and so dearly loved. Well, having just recovered from my trip out in that wonderful E-Type here at Bista Heritage, what an honour. It really was a beautiful car and so smooth as well fantastic experience and it's just a taster really of what the veterans have been enjoying here all day with the jc oxfordshire region all in aid of mission motorsport here at Bista heritage the day has concluded with the cars being pulled off track They've now parked outside one of the big aircraft hangars here at Bicester Heritage and they've put on a bit of a display here because now all the guys are going to come together and enjoy a barbecue with those veterans. And the cars are superb, you've got the XKs there, there's a beautiful couple of F-types There's that XJS V12, an X300 as well, uh, an XF, a Morris Traveller as well, which sticks out a bit like a sore thumb here, but uh, apparently is the substitute for a broken E-type. An MX-5 has turned up as well. That beautiful uh, XJS that we uh, spoke about a little bit earlier on and a whole selection of gorgeous E-types as well plus the Project 7 right at the very end there, and a beautiful XKR. Then, of course, there's those Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust cars, the three that uh, Tony Merigold talked us around at the beginning of the podcast, the Bond Villains car, the Princess Diana XJS Cabriolet, and, of course, that Union Jack XK8 as well, uh, plus the Project 8, which has been making a lot of noise out on track here at Bicester Heritage. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts
4: Club podcast. Tom's Jaguar Racing Diary. Sharing the knowledge, drama and innovation from behind the scenes of the Jaguar
0: Enthusiasts Club Race Championship. this week tom's motorsport diary is actually brought to you from matthew davis in the swallows number two car of course matthew being the md of the jaguar daimler heritage trust we're very pleased to have him on board with the jaguar enthusiast club race championship but certainly every race he has seems to be full of drama and cadwell park was no different well hi everyone it's uh back a monday morning
7: uh it's 10 to 10 and i've just got my uh, XJR six-pack. So I'm back in the turquoise supercharged Class D car. Um, I don't know if you, you remember the story. My story is that uh, it's my first season at JEC Championship. Uh, I bought a Class D XJR in uh, a fantastic turquoise, launch turquoise colour and it was a good proven car. Uh, and then on my first race at Silverstone, it burst into flames and uh, it's been in rebuild since then. But Cut Along Shorey Store, it's ready and I'm back in it. And I have just done my first uh, laps around uh, Cadwell Park. Never been here before. Lovely looking place, bloody terrifying to drive. Uh, And just as I was hopping in, ready to do the, 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 thank goodness they put on qualifying beforehand. Um, Not qualifying, a, a, a practice session before qualifying. And my gear stick snapped just as I was pulling out. Uh, so that wasn't great. And I'm just learning a new quick shift system and we've got a new clutch. So it all feels very different to before. But uh, anyway, they managed to drill a hole in the bottom of the stick, get it bedded back in and give me something to get around the course in, which I did. So, oh, uh, frightening. Um, qualifying's in three quarters of an hour. I'm just trying to calm down and uh, I'll come back and tell you how it all went. Wish me luck oh dear, another eventful session this is uh, quite the saga um, at least it's interesting I hope for you listeners but anyway what happened was I went out for qualifying and um, slightly weird gear change and a very high clutch and all sorts of things to try and get my head around um, and um, it, it was going look a car feels quite settled, feels good in itself uh, until I was just sort of coming out of barm uh where you then sort of get ready to boost it along that little back straight start finish straight and it threw a supercharge belt just lost all power so luckily i was able to coast into marshall's post and wait and see and then it got really interesting because uh the, fi- the session finished and the chap came over in his big four by four to tow us away and um uh, the, um, as we approach, you have to, uh, a uh, Cabwell It's quite steep up uh, the, the section to get you back into the paddock. So as we approach the bottom of um, of that complex, where you get one well, needs to be towed through. Uh, he just sort of paused, and then I rolled towards him, and then he sort of over hit it and snapped off my tow hitch. So then we're sort of part way up the hill, trying to get off the course with other marshals coming around sort of prop the car up. And uh, the chap threw a temporary strap around the front of the car, pulled us off. Anyway, got back to the the lads in the pit. It turns out he sort of half pulled off the uh, front subframe. So we've got a bit of a sledgehammer job to get it ready for race one. So, um, and the small matter of putting on a new supercharger belt and um, all the time with a gear linkage that's at best really a jury rig so it's going to be fun and uh, i'll be back to see what happens later and poor old tom's got a misfire so it's all hands on deck in the swallows pit wow that was exciting i've just done race one uh and it just started to drizzle a bit at the beginning um getting the old spits and spots on the windscreen you just think oh please don't and um i was at the back of the grid um, I'll blame it on not having an active transponder. So none of my lap times were recorded from the first session, but uh, I probably would have been there anyway. So um, I was just really trying to hang in with the cars in front, and uh, I think it's Roger in a green XJS was ahead of me, and um, I sort of managed to stay with him. And after a few laps, I just thought, mm, this is, I need to get around him somehow. So fortunately, I think it must have been after about... Four or five laps a little opening appeared um i think in charlies it was the second charlies bit and i managed just to sneak up the inside get random and and go and then i was free and off um and i just sort of settled into nice rhythm it's good and then it just the rain got a little bit heavier got a bit slippier out there and i passed holt and uh, no, it wasn't Holty. it was um mike seaborne had a little birthday Uh, stop off um, through the really tight complex at the top of the mountain there, coming down the back of that and then I think uh, as we were going um, on further, I was just, we had a long sort of yellow flag session Um, and then when it green flagged I let Tom past and then a sort of pack of um, the the other three faster cars came and I just waved them all through at the next corner and then was confronted with uh, I think it's Guy's beautiful Quaker State style XJS doing an elegant pirouette off through the wet craft. <laughs> anyway he managed to catch me up later um, and um, we, we think those were the only sort of casualties apart from poor old Tom whose car I know had a misfire beforehand and um, he had a big spin and parked it and I think it's a pretty poorly car so we're just waiting to see what happened to that um, as they're tying him in now. But it's a it's an amazing circuit cab well i've never been here before it's everything they say it is which is up down type, fast scary and um and, it, and when it got wet it really was a bit scary but um oh god can you hear that is tom's very poorly car pulling in now um so another race to come and i'll come and tell you all about it later well that's it i've done it i've done uh my sixth race finish and um i've got stuck behind Roger Webster who's in a um, Class A car and just couldn't get past him so I kind of just hung in there and um, monstered him all the way up the hill then him all the way down the hill uh, but it, just on the straight he seemed to just pull a little bit ahead so I just couldn't get him so it was very annoying but very entertaining so it was nice to be in the turquoise car back in my own car again And it was nice to have something with the oomph to keep up with the cars in front. And uh, it was a tricky old day. It got uh, just little bits and spots of rain, just made it greasy. Um, So it was just about wipers on. And the car car behaved very well. It it held together pretty well um, in the last race. And i'm really pleased i'm really pleased to have just got another one under my belt and um to have had a good tussle all the way around with, with with roger so um thanks everyone it's been a fun fun day long day but a good day and um more importantly the car lives to fight another day without any horrible dents or things or anything I'm not sure what happened at the front, or <laughs> I'm going to let Tom tell that story, but uh, yeah, it was good fun, and um, can't wait
0: for the next one. That's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JEC podcast via www.jecpodcast.com. And you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message, or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.